you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. Are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out? I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You had to act <laughs> by the sink a lot. Yeah. I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right. Doing business constantly. Uh-huh. Mom stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Disciplining you <laughs> in some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The Around the NFL podcast is a CIA cutout aimed at distracting us from Antarctica's inner belly. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room. Filled with heroes, Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, and Chris Wessling. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Hey, Wes. That, now, that sounded like the rantings of a madman. And it and might just speak to the fact that I think money will just read whatever's put in front of him. And keep that in mind, listeners, when you send in those money tags to Erica, literally anything that gets put in front of Matt Moneysmith, he will read and it will become the beginning of our show. Well, you'd think he might be losing um, a bit of respect for us after reading some of the copy, that being some of it. <laughs> but don't sleep on Antarctica. I don't, I don't, you know, let's, let's eyes open, please, on what could be happening deep below the earth. Mm. That's true. Out of sight, out of mind. Meanwhile, nefarious activities, potentially down yonder this is the week 13 recap episode it is our flagship show every week where we talk about everything that went down on the sunday that was in the nfl a sunday that was gloriously um low to nil on COVID 19 talk now the schedule the schedule goes on because of COVID 19 and in unconventional way with two games on Monday and another game on Tuesday. But for this Sunday, you wake up this morning, and I, I'm sure you guys do the same thing. First thing I do when I wake up on Sundays now, I head over and I get online and I say, all right, what's what horrible thing is happening in the league connected to the global pandemic? Nothing today, and that was nice. Big I win. Think, I hadn't even thought about that. That's how, I guess that's how nice it was not to have it. Knock on wood. All right. So, yes, in this COVID-free 
Sunday in the NFL on some level. Of course, there are players that missed the games because of COVID. Players that opted out of the whole season. So I guess no no Sunday is truly COVID-free. But that's it. No more COVID references for the rest of the show. We're going to get into every game uh, starting uh, today's show uh, with a game that I know Mark Sessler will treasure until his dying day. Mayfield from under center, play action fake, bootlegs it out to the right, he's throwing down the right sideline, he's got Peoples-Jones wide open, he's gone, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, 75 yards on one play, wow, Doug. Oh, Mark, I some bongos to start the show. Browns, 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 Browns. Nine and three. We were waiting for a big Baker performance. We got it on Sunday. The former number one pick threw four first half touchdown passes. Capped by that gorgeous dime to Donnie football. 41-35 was the final over the Titans. Sessler, Cleveland didn't quite coast to the finish line in the way you would have liked, I imagine. But this was a huge win for a nine and three team. Nine and three. Yeah, I mean, though, the second half got a little weird, and um, I had people tweeting at me saying, why aren't you tweeting during this game? It's like, I'm not touching this thing until it's over, because Dan, (laughs) the only person I communicated with was Dan, and (laughs) I was not expressing confidence, even, even, you know, minutes after halftime, but... The way that they built that first half lead, I thought, um, was in, was instructive about Kevin Stefanski and um, the flexibility of the Browns' offense, which which surprised me. They came out throwing the ball, and you know it, it was billed all week a certain way, and this is what we do with games. It's going to be you know Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt versus Derrick Henry, and it's going to look like something out of nineteen twenty eight, um, and it couldn't have been more more opposite. Uh, and it was the game where that I waited for Baker Mayfield. He's had a couple of these, but they've been in more low wattage scenarios where he made every throw and he threw aggressively. And um, they weren't, they showed no fear in terms of their game plan. And I, I thought that they, they surprised most people watching um, the game and they surprised the Titans. Uh, I think they, you know, last week the Titans went out and broke the Colts with Derrick Henry by halftime. That didn't happen this time because the Titans, I thought, came back with a lot of resilience. Um, but Cleveland's defense, which was missing Denzel Ward and Ronnie Harrison, which I viewed as a death sentence, I thought that was probably going to mark the end of any chance to really um, win this thing. I couldn't have been wrong more wrong about how this played out in the first half. And they made just enough plays in the second half to, uh, you know, put it away. And it, it to me... Um, the Browns, I think, fairly were looked at as one of these teams that gets off to a start where you look at the record and say, well, we're not buying your record because of who, have you, who you've played. Um, but now you, you add one to the belt that says, look, we beat the Titans, um, a team that I think they're pretty evenly matched with on some level. Um, and they overachieved a little bit today, maybe, but it kind of shows what the Browns can do and that whenever we count these teams out or... Look, look past them or discredit them, which I do all the time with teams with inflated records. Um, they can still surprise you. They beat the Titans at their own game. Really coming out with the play action. Both teams used a lot of play action today, and it was glorious. It was a, it was a fun first half. And Baker Mayfield it seems like every, I don't know, month or two has one of these games where every pass is pinpoint accurate. His ball placement is uncanny. And he should have had five touchdowns in the first half. Donovan Peoples-Jones dropped a layup 
mm. on the opening drive of the game, and Baker honestly deserved to have better stats at halftime. I mean, it was 38-7. to seven. You can tell by Mark's kind of recap and just how he explained his date. He's uncomfortable um, with all this success and all this goodness. I mean, sure. they were up 38-7 to seven in a game, as you mentioned, uh, Mark, that like we, we were skeptical and we were looking at their record. That Baker Mayfield had, had, was touched one time. The Titans had one quarterback hit, and it was on a middle linebacker blitz. So that That's shows you where... Do. Right, that shows you where the Titans are and why I think they're going to lose because of their past defense ultimately in the playoffs at some point, whoever they end up playing. And it shows you that the Browns can take advantage of a past defense that bad. It, it's awesome. Yeah, it was it was a great performance. The Browns are a kind of strange team because when things are clicking for them, uh, they look incredible. And I think they follow the lead of their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, because we've seen him have dog games this year. We've seen him as recently as last week miss open receivers and just be kind of so up and down. But then every once in a while, the stars align and he looks like exactly the guy the Browns thought they were getting when they took him number one overall a few years back. And this was one of those days. And I I find it Here's the here's the key for because everybody is that listens to our podcast is fascinated by Mark's Browns fandom. And let me give you a little skeleton key to understand it. When the when the Browns are suffering and when they're going through their 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 you know terrible phase, which was a long time for this podcast, Mark Mark will ooze that despair. That will come often. That will come out of his pores and out of his mouth, and you can feel how upset he is. When the Browns are doing well, Mark, you tend to internalize it. I find, and mm-hmm. you, I know there's a lot of joy within you right now. You're not sharing that with us, but I know it has to be special that the Browns, and I'll say it again, the Browns are 9-3, and three, Mark. Let it out. Let out the joy. It is It is special. I think part of it is that it's happening this year, in this time, um, which is a very weird time. Uh, it's it, like it feels a bit like a dream. Um, I am happy in, in my, honestly, when I start to, when it starts to, um, you know, Cleveland stacking wins is, is not happening 25 years. So when it happens, like I kind of like on Sunday night when we're done with everything and I'm sort of just sitting there watching like highlights and stuff, I'm like, whoa, this is going on. So I am, I'm not um, trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to downplay it. Um, it also like it is. Stop it is withholding. A, no, but it's a, it is a vicarious experience. So it's like I had nothing to do with it. I, I find it odd that people were like, great job, Mark. Like I've been on these, <laughs> like, great job. It's like I had literally, I've sat in a chair the whole time, but um, it is awesome. And like, I, I like for me, everything starts with coaching and I, it's like that it's not smoke and mirrors entirely. I think they're well coached. They're well prepared. That's the thing that I kind of am most hopeful about that they haven't had a good game day coach um, since Bill Belichick. I mean, they really haven't. Here's the thing, like your your resume, how you played like in the first 11 or 12 games, we a lot of times think like you're as dangerous in the playoffs as like your your aggregate good things you've done during the regular season. It, does, it doesn't really matter that much. It's how you're playing when you're in the playoffs, when you get there. They got to 8-3 and three somehow. Can they play their very best here moving forward with a good coach and a great offensive line like that? That is a team that you would not want to see in the playoffs. And now they get to play the Ravens. And by the way, they're not totally out of the AFC out of the AFC North. If the Steelers lost against Washington, I'm just saying that's a big if. But if they lost to yeah, Washington, always the Browns still on the Steelers. Always he, Rosa here's Ball. the thing: if the, the Browns still have the Steelers on the schedule, they'd be back two with four to go, including a head-to-head. I'm just saying it wouldn't be totally right. over. 
That's all. Not mathematically. Big moment. And if people do want to know what it's like uh, when Mark Sessler's in the moment, he was very nervous when the Titans put up 15 straight points uh, to start the third quarter. I told him the Titans defense is bad. Don't worry about it. And then we both agreed when the Browns were able to get that big Nick Chubb run and they kicked the field goal, that calmed things down. And it, it, and then it made you feel better about things. And it, it never really was that dicey after that. You felt pretty good from that point on, right, Mark? I felt safer. I mean, I you know, you we've all watched collapses. And I, I'm the someone that never trusts a team that gets up really, really big at halftime because there's so much time left. And I thought Cleveland came out real flat and some weird things were happening. And the Titans went hurry up. Um, you know, that field goal changed the demeanor of the game. Like you said, well said, calmed it down a bit. It's like it was someone going absolutely nuts, like a friend of yours going absolutely nuts in a public setting. You know, maybe the bouncer hits him in the head once and he sits down in a chair. That's it what was Wes at Big there. Bear in 2016. Well, that's been all of us at some point. But. <laughs> um, all right. Good stuff. And if you're a Titans fan, you're like, what? I mean, they're kind of a tough team to figure out. Wes, we know their defense is an issue. That's been on everyone's radar all season. Uh, but to, to lay an egg at that level in the first two quarters of this game, uh, are they a team you struggle to take seriously in January? Or did they or did they put enough out there in the past with and you know with the players that they have where you think they could shake this off and still close out this fin- season the right way and be a team to watch? This week hurts, and not just because of this loss, because they had to put Jadevian Clowney on IR and his season's over. I keep waiting for their defense to get better, thinking that Dory Jackson's going to come back and solidify their cornerbacks. Clowney's going to finally come alive as a pass rusher, but those dreams are over. Breon mm-hmm. Borders got destroyed today at cornerback. I don't know when Adore Jackson's coming back, but as Greg has been pointing out, this pass rush is way too weak for the cornerbacks to even really matter that much. No tackles either, and they just suspended Isaiah Wilson after one of the you know worst first round uh, pick seasons in memory uh, for an undisclosed reason. So they're on their you know third t- third and fourth tackles, and they can't play their first rounder because he's suspended. So Isaiah yeah, Wilson does not seem super focused on football based on what we know about him. <laughs> I mean, the first round pick looks like a knucklehead. You, you signed Vic Beasley. What a disaster! Clowney has been a huge bust. Uh, they didn't get they didn't get better with their big impact moves in the offseason. Let's move on. Murray throws behind it. It's intercepted. Troy Hill, the 35, the 20, the 10. He'll high step in. A pick six for Troy Hill to put it out of reach. Oh. Wes, we know that man. He's a hero. Amongst heroes. JB Long, KSPN with the call. Troy Hill jumped the route, snagged the Kyler Murray spiral, took it to the house. Game-clinching pick six and the Rams' 38-21 win. 38-28 win over the Cardinals in Glendale. Great all-around effort by Los Angeles in this game. Uh, Jared Goff threw for over 350 yards. Scored twice. Didn't turn the ball over. Obviously notable after uh, his head coach, Sean McVay, put him on blast after last week's uh, meltdown loss in which he turned the ball over repeatedly. Uh, You also got Daryl Henderson ripping off a 38-yard touchdown run. Aaron Donald with a couple more sacks. And as I said, Hill capping it off with that pick six to seal it. Uh, The win combined with uh, Seattle's loss to the Giants, spoiler alert, moves L.A. back into a first-place tie in the NFC West with four games to play. And more importantly, this is exactly the game. This is why I locked up the Rams, because I know their defense is top-level. 
if their offense can just move things up and be more consistent and stop turning the ball over, this team is going to win probably 11 games, and that might be enough to win a division title. Yeah, I think the it's not just the fact that they won the game, it's how they won the game. That the Cardinals almost felt lucky to be in this, that it was they doubled up their total yardage, the Rams against the Cardinals. Uh, they moved the ball all day, and their defense, except for a couple little things, you know, pretty much controlled things. And that's because the Cardinals are, are too one-dimensional passing. I know people are, think it's a shoulder injury with Murray, even though he's throwing the ball awesome, and he, he's certainly running the ball fine. I think defenses are forcing him to hand the ball off, and they're they're doing whatever they can to stop DeAndre Hopkins, who had 13 targets for 52 yards, which that sounds pretty bad. But then all the non-DeAndre Hopkins wide receivers there uh, had, I think, a, a combined... 30-something yards on 12 targets. So it's like it's it's Hopkins or nothing, and it's not a sustaining offense. So it doesn't surprise me that like a great defense like the Rams just puts the clamps on them. Dan, I did speak with JB uh, yesterday, Ooh. Saturday, when we were putting up the Christmas lights outside. Uh, and for the first time since really I've met him, he was not 100% confident in his quarterback. Interesting, hmm. and I don't want to give too much away because it's his job, sort of, to be. You know, he was like Wes. This is definitely off the record, but I want to let you know how I'm feeling. He's right. a team employee. Ultimately, it's his he's a job team to support the team. But I think right. when the head coach comes out and has doubts, it's okay for the play-by-play guy to say, "Okay, what's going on here?" Mm. And I think we're to the point where it's like, is he the same way? Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is with the 49ers, where. You're on a year-to-year basis with golf now. Is that where we're at? I mean, maybe, and the maybe it's prohibitive with the contract that they gave him. Uh, this is a marriage I think that's going to go on. But if you just want to go off, and it is a week-to-week league, I thought he played really well in this game. He scored twice, once on the ground, uh, once through the air, protected the ball, like I said. And, you know, he is never going to be maybe the guy they thought he could be. That's that's kind of where I come down on Goff, that he's not a superstar or a star. I kind of put him uh, in the similar class as Baker, that where you, you he, they're the type of quarterbacks when things are going right and we have the right team around him, uh, there may be like, like an Andy Dalton level or better, per- mm. perhaps. That's kind of where I see Goff. So I've never saw him as a huge problem for them. I know he was last week. And in this game, he certainly wasn't. I just thought, like Greg said, just a great all-around effort. And it was it, – it, it, I know the Seahawks are also a good team, and they struggled a lot. But I am not going to be surprised if the Rams are the team that ends up winning this division because I think if their offense continues to stay around this level – I just think they're the most balanced team. Well, it's such a uh, tight di- West. It's such a tight division too that like if the Rams are just going to play better down the stretch over the next four games, they will win this division based on what I saw from Seattle today. We'll get to that. I mean, it just seems to me for while every third game from Jared Goff leaves us shaking our heads. Um, to your point, the defense finds someone or multiple people to step up every week. Troy Hill had a touchdown last week too. I mean, they. You know, they seem to find different heroes on a weekly basis, and that's an awesome recipe to win a division and win a playoff game. So I, you know, I've been real hard on this team, um, not really so much because of the team, but because of other things. But I'm going to chill on it for a little bit. No one needs to hear it from me. <laughs> well, on the Cardinals side, until their side next loss, until their I mean, next loss. Yeah, on the Cardinals, because Mark, you were very high on the Cardinals a few weeks ago, but now they are. They are one Hail Murray away from a five-game losing streak. Yeah, and, and the Patriots game cooled me on them a little, too. They were figured out, I thought, against New England. 
it just seems like this this was not a good matchup for them. And I thought, uh, you know, just like Bill Belichick did, the Rams and their defensive coordinator, uh, Staley. Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley deserves a lot of credit uh, for the game plan, which didn't allow Kyler to get out of the pocket the way he wanted to. And then they have enough speed on defense where they can – uh, you know, go one-on-one uh, with a guy spying Murray, just taking that element of the game away. And then if you're a defense that has a lockdown corner, like the Rams do with Jalen Ramsey, it kind of plays right into uh, their hands a game like this. So the Cardinals at 6-6, six and six, bye-bye division. Uh, and now you're just, you know, you're holding on for dear life, trying to figure out a way to get your season back on track. I take a look real quick here. We don't need to play the look ahead game too much on the Sunday night recap show. Uh, but you have the Giants up next, Eagles, Niners, Rams. I mean, I can't, I can't like write a W on any of those right now with the Cardinals because they just are so inconsistent. They should beat the Eagles, but they're they're two and five in their last seven. I think they've been ahead of their skis all year, and I don't think people should be too hard on Kyler Murray or the Cardinals if they win eight games after winning eight games combined the last two. They're not, they're not that talented. Like I, I just no, don't I just don't think they're a talented team. So the Rams are a lot more talented. I think they're a little bit better coached too, the Rams. And to me, it, it it's not a surprise that it's gonna be the Rams and the Seahawks playing for this division. All right, let's move on. Wilson takes the snap. He's back to throw. He's under pressure, flushed out to his left. Stands back there. Now he's going to moon ball it down the middle of the field. High in the air. Batted down and incomplete. And the New York Giants are going to leave Seattle with a victory. Oh, we're hearing a lot from Bob Papa on this show in recent weeks of WFAN because the G-Men. The G-Men! They keep winning. Russell Wilson frustrated all game long by the big blue defense. Right to the very end on a desperation fourth down prayer that went unanswered in a 17-12 win for New York at the stadium formerly known as the Clink. Mark, with your boy, Colt McCoy, behind center. The Giants, they looked like cannon fodder uh, going into this game. How did they make everyone look so foolish? Well, I think it's two words. Patrick Graham. And we, you know, Greg, I think you first mentioned him uh, uh, on our Thursday show that, you know, he had been doing... Um, a good job, the Dolphins-esque uh, type stuff happening with the Giants defense. They just, I thought, made um, life very difficult for Russell Wilson um, from the outset with all sorts of uh, disguise coverages, uh, zone blitzes. They just threw him off his game. They had a fumbled snap at one point, a lot of inaccurate throws. Um, I think they were bringing pressure. In, I mean, Russell Wilson sees the field as any as well as anyone, and I thought today they confused him a little bit. Um, and they just, you know, I feel like in the course of doing this show post the Super Bowl Giants team that they were just this no-name defense and I'm starting to see these guys start to play together with a lot of confidence I mean it starts with Leonard Williams who had two and a half sacks and was a monster today um, but guys that I guess you would call no-namers like Carter Coughlin Tay Crowder uh, Blake Martinez who we know but he was a little banged up today but he's been consistent for them James Bradbury made a couple huge plays they're just a really productive defense, uh, and they're really sound. And their sacks on Russell Wilson accounted for losses of 8 yards, 8 yards, 11 yards, 15 yards. These came on third downs. They they snuffed out Seattle, and it came down like every Seahawks game to that final throw where you thought Seattle's just going to win this game, and it didn't happen this time. And, and 
to me, it like gave me hope that there is a team in the NFC East that's really interestingly coached. Um, I think there's a lot. This team has a lot of confidence in themselves, and I don't really, I won't really point to the offense other than to say that like Wayne Gallman week after week does does more than we would have expected someone named Wayne Gallman to do. He had a big 60 yard <laughs> run today. Alfred Morris. There was at one point when Colt McCoy threw a touchdown pass to Alfred Morris to put them up um, by a chunk, and I thought. What is happening here? This is 2020, and it's beautiful. Um, Call McCoy just did – he did just enough. You know, he's – he is who he is. Uh, we we nice get it. Nice moment, though. Nice it moment. It was a nice Cole moment. He, he, I, I bet he was – he wasn't sure he was ever going to get uh, something like a road win in Seattle ever again. Well, you're right. It's his first win since 2014, and he, he made a couple a couple big throws, um, especially late in the game to help, uh, you know, chip in one last field goal. It was a gutsy win for the Giants, and I think that like these teams are two or three teams over the course of a season, and they're a very different team than they were in September. It's funny because mm-hmm. I remember talking on this podcast, us talking about you know the different teams and looking ahead, and the Giants were viewed as a, an also ran and not a team to take serious, and perhaps they're still not. I mean, obviously they're the they're leading the NFC East and they're sub five hundred, so we can't get too carried away with this. But I remember specifically a conversation like name one player of merit. Uh, an impact player on their defense. And fast forward now to early December, and it's their defense that just went to Seattle and dropped a bomb on Russell Wilson. I think it's a testament to a couple things. I mean, number one, uh, coaching. Well, number one, the players uh, for their ability to execute. Number two, coaching. And three, there have been some moves here, and I know I, I tread carefully here, Wes. It's not safe space around these parts. Dave Gettleman made some moves that went under the radar, including Leonard Williams, getting him in the building, James Bradbury, Blake Martinez. These guys have built, Jabril Peppers, have built the foundation of a good defense now. Well, yeah, I don't think you want to really get into Dave Gettleman's draft picks, but his free agent hall has been magnificent. The guys you guys both mentioned, James Bradbury having a legitimate Pro Bowl year, if not all pro. Blake Martinez having a career year. Leonard Williams having a career year, if not a Pro Bowl year. All three of those guys were free agents, and, and Leonard Williams was a priority for them. Hmm. I mean, and the biggest pick he made was Judge. If we're going to, you know, to me, that Judge hires Graham away from Miami. That was a win-win. Miami didn't need to let him leave. That, that was kind of interesting. He was their coordinator. He had to ask for permission. They, they, they decided to help out his career. I think he's close with Flores. Both sides are, are winning with that. But hiring Judge and, and Judge hiring Graham, and that is, you got to give Gettleman credit for that. They, they should be better than – I know they're 5-7, and seven, but they, they lost some brutal ones early, and to me they're playing much better. Much better they're two that. losses in this stretch. Now they've won four straight. The two losses – uh, before that were by one and two points. So, like, this team could easily – you could flip their record right now. So they really are – I think could've they've established the themselves as the – What's that? It goes the other way. They could have lost to the Bengals last week too. Well, I know, but they dominated yeah, that game. That's, that's – okay, that's and fair. And almost but lost. They seem to me – and this is also dangerous footing in this season – to be the best team in the NFC yes. East. Uh, and they've we made that We can wait a week, but that's true right now. But, yeah. By the way, I'm you know I know we haven't done the fork all year other than your guys's um, regrettable premature forking of the 49ers, um, but I'm I'm sticking a fork in in Russell Wilson's MVP campaign. I think you tried to a week ago and I st- got in your way, um, but now two more that turnovers. Like, it's that probably feels a like a two man race now, right? It feels yeah, like I, it's Rodgers like against Mahomes. He's out of it. Yeah. Kyler's out too. Stick a fork in Kyler as well. He's been out. He was yeah. never in. 
Well, I thought Russell was out a couple weeks ago, but apparently I think before it comes right. out now. I never know any MVB talk. It's like, are we even allowed to have it? Because I haven't seen but that, any. That just, Russell right. had played well enough that if he had gone on fire the last five weeks of the season, you couldn't have told me he wouldn't have been in the mix. But don't we trust been, that like too, much, some, too many problems? Don't we trust some voters who watch like only the team on their like local TVs? Probably throwing a few votes out there that don't make a lot of sense. Or are we? Are they more sound than that? At this what, point. you're saying you're not standing behind uh, Tony Dungy voting for Bobby Wagner in 2017? There's that. I mean, I'm not allowed into the Pro Football Writers Association, so obviously no, I'd, you know, they're afraid of what I might vote for. I don't want to um, glance over, though, the fact that the Seahawks got shut down at home by the Giants. Uh, that, yeah. That is that's strange. This is a team at full strength. You had Chris Carson, Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. Uh, you would think that points would rain down, uh, and yet the offense is going in the wrong direction. As the defense is getting better, and ain't this life, the offense is going the other way. It was pass rush. I mean, like, Wilson is deals with pass rush really well, but they got to him. I mean, and they, they ended drives, um, and they like I said, they confused him. And you just don't see that happen too often. It is. I think it's just more like, let's warm up to what this Giants defense might actually be. The Seahawks line's been bad for a month, though. They've been bad for a month. They were bad on Monday night against the Eagles, too. I mean, I think they've been bad for a month, and it's a lot to overcome. Their offensive line was bad today. Chev Wheeler got destroyed. He got killed. Um, Wilson doesn't usually express himself too much on the field, but you could, like Mark said, you could see it on his face. He was frustrated with the lack of protection he was getting. Uh, And the Giants, like the great Giants defenses of yesteryear, um, getting pressure without needing to blitz, the front four doing the damage. All right, let's move on. Bailey from 23 to walk off. Snap spot. Bailey! Sixth win. The Vikings win 27-24. Even Paul Allen's like, you really? Vikings, you really want me to get excited after that performance? Paul Allen, K-F-A-N. You know, the Jaguars have perfected the art of almost winning. Harrison Smith intercepted (laughs) Mike Glennon in overtime, setting up a dramatic chip shot game winner from Dan Bailey in the Vikings' 27-24 overtime win at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, The Vikings, once left for dead, are now 6-6, and and I believe right now they sit in the seventh spot for the playoffs. So uh, quite a season turnaround for Minnesota. Greg, this game, like the game up there in the great Pacific Northwest, looked like a blowout on paper. Why did it play out that way? Uh, The Vikings' offensive line more than anything, but, man, they find ways to not win games. I, I think that's been a trade of theirs. And I know they came back and, and won the game last week and Joey Sly missed the kick or else, you know, they wouldn't have. But they just, they've had times this year when they can put the game away. Even during this stretch where Cousins is playing well, like a couple weeks ago, you get two chances to go beat the Cowboys at the end. Don't do it on offense. I counted six straight drives late in this game after they took over uh, against, you know, an undermanned Jaguars team, ha- got the lead after being down by 10 points. To the Vikings' credit, you score two touchdowns, you get a lead, six more possessions, the Vikings' offense doesn't do anything. A couple of those started in Jacksonville territory. So the Vikings' defense was keep setting them up over and over, and either Cousins missed the throw or they're running too much on early downs or the 
pass protection collapses, that was probably the number one thing where you got to the point where the Jaguars had the ball in overtime with a chance to win because the Vikings blew their first chance in overtime. And you're thinking, wow, are they really going to blow this game to Mike Glennon, who scored eight points on, you know, a game time drive to get to overtime? No. No, the Vi- the Jaguars are too good at losing these close games. Didn't happen. That was so disappointing because obviously, as a Jets fan, if you can get the if you can get the Jaguars to two wins or even a win and a tie, you're feeling awesome about the Trevor sweepstakes. And when you get the three and out and the Vikings punting from deep in their own end, you're like, all right, we're cooking here. Just need a field goal. Then uh, then the punt goes deep, and then there's a penalty that pushes them back to inside their own twenty. And then they have an open DJ Shark over the middle near midfield, and Mike Glennon Glennon's it uh, for the INT, and it was all she wrote after that. I believe uh, the last five Jaguars losses have all been by four points or less, something in that wow. range. So Get some it, good teams, too. It's incredible yeah. how they, week after week, they hang in these games. You go leading into the week, everyone's just talking about how terrible their defense is and how the quarterback stinks and all this. And then in the fourth quarter, it's tied with two minutes to play. I guess that would give you hope that, whether you know, if you're someone that's looking, uh, they're looking to hire a head coach and, and a general manager after the season potentially, you add a quarterback, like a game-changing quarterback to that mix, they're not maybe that far away. Uh, I mean, something right, but about none them, of these guys are going to be there anyway. So who knows what they're going to? Are they going to dump the entire roster off a of mountainside? Marone. I'm saying Marone. No. Well, I'm, I'm saying the saying new Marone. coach for the new coach coming in, or like the new regime. Like, there's something to sell here. I mean, they're not a total trash bag on fire. Yeah. But I was going to go ahead, Wes. I was say there's one beat scribe in Jacksonville who's been saying all year since September. That he's guaranteeing the Jaguars are a playoff team next year. He's that impressed with their young talent. I think they are talented. I mean, Shark made a couple great plays. James Robinson's been awesome. You know, Miles Jack is in his prime. I don't know if they have a ton of talent on defense. I mean, they lost. The crazy thing is you come out for this game, and it started as about as bad for the Vikings as possible. Eric Kendricks hurt himself 15 minutes before the game, which you never hear, like the post-inactive injury. It doesn't happen too much. So he's out, and the the... Jaguars are up 9 nothing and have 13 first downs before the Vikings have three. And then there's kind of a fluky interception that, that turns around. But it's just surprising to see them get dominated for stretches, the Vikings. You've seen that, where like they look like the inferior team here in the first quarter and in the fourth quarter. It didn't seem that fluky. Glennon, Glennon had three turnovers and you know was not the solution. He also had a, a bunch of dimes, especially on that uh, game-tying drive. So that, that's, that's what the he'll experience. do. That's the experience yeah. of them. I mean, Kirk Cousins, I see over his last five games, has 14 touchdowns. Two picks. Yeah. I mean, he's been clean. Today might, I mean, you're saying today was problematic to some degree, but I mean, they have wasn't the on him. I don't trust their O line, but they're six and six. They're in the playoffs right now. That's insane to me. Well, they have the Bucks and Saints as two of three opponents over the next three weeks with the Bears and Lions around that. So that's, that's doable. You're going to have to pull off an upset there, though, I think, over one of these heavies. The um, Kendricks injury, and it was a calf injury, reminds me. Speaking of old Jets misery, back in 1996, Neil O'Donnell was fumbling his way through um, his first season with the team. And during pregame warmups, he took a step on where the helmet was painted in the end zone and it was slick and he slid and tore his calf muscle. That, <laughs> so hopefully it's not something that serious. But uh, whenever uh, a calf muscle uh, tears, I think of Neil O'Donnell. Uh, any other thoughts on this game? All right. (laughs) Good stuff. Let's move on. 
comes Carson. Back now he comes up, gonna fire again. Oh, I've been Left waiting side. for this. Going for Ruggs. Ruggs has got it. Touchdown. Jackpot, baby. Vegas touchdown. Vegas touchdown. Jackpot. And away. <laughs> Musker. Uncle Brent with the call for KRLV. Yes, the Raiders needed a miracle to keep their season from circling the drain. They got it in the form of a Derek Carr 46-yard touchdown pass to Henry Ruggs with seconds to play. The difference in a 31-28 win over the aforementioned New York Jets at the Jersey Meadowlands. Um, the, The play, and you heard it, and everybody was, Twitter middle school was going crazy about uh, the Jets tanking. The Jets are not tanking. The uh, Jets played really hard uh, in this game. And they essentially, after scoring uh, 10 unanswered points in uh, the fourth quarter, were poised for a win. Uh, they got a fourth down stop late in the fourth quarter. Uh, Oakland uh, had to uh, get a three and out stop from the Jets, which they got. Jets punted away. And essentially, all the Jets need to do is keep, uh, did I say Oakland a bunch of times? Vegas, uh, from beating them with a deep ball. And for whatever reasons, uh, Greg Williams uh, chose this moment uh, with the Raiders at midfield with no timeouts, down four, uh, to bring the house on a blitz. And it's notable, everyone knows what happens. And you just heard it. Uh, when you bring the house on a blitz, you leave. Three uh, defensive backs to cover three players streaking down the field. And then you have to remember who the personnel is. And I think this is what the defensive coordinator missed as well, Greg Williams. You had Henry Ruggs, a gifted prospect uh, with 4-2 speed, first-round pick, against Lamar Jackson. Not that Lamar Jackson. The undrafted free agent Lamar Jackson who was cut in camp and brought back when the Jets had injury issues. You leave him on an island and Jackson bites on the double move. And it's a gimme touchdown and no help over top from a safety because the safety is in one-on-one coverage with the guy in the slot. It was it was it was amateur hour uh, by Greg Williams and a terrible call. And uh, after the game, Marcus May, who was on the field and you know he's a good player and uh, he he couldn't help but uh, take a shot at Greg Williams. Uh, yeah, I just felt like we could have been a better call um, at that time in that point of the game. Got to execute, but you got to help us out at the same time. Just being the you know, better call it that spot. So you can you can tell me, Greg, that this is uh, a good thing for the Jets ultimately, and maybe it was. Uh, but if you are following this team, and if you followed any team that's been through a season like this, you understand that this is weighing on them. It it, it kind of becomes part of their identity, uh, and to play this hard and to lose again and now be staring at 0-12 with four games to infamy. I just felt so bad for those guys and just angry with the coaching. I mean, he's Greg Williams going to Greg Williams. There, There's a pretty, you know, logical belief that in a Hail Mary situation, which this one wasn't quite, it was close. That, you, that you send pressure. In, in fact, whenever coaches don't send pressure in Hail Marys, everyone always yells, why didn't they send pressure? You also have a guy out there, you know, Lamar Jackson covering rugs uh, who bites on, on a double move uh, where when he can absolutely not, that's the last thing that he can do. 
There's different ways to send pressure. That's crazy to say that you got to have a zero blitz, though. Right. I'm not saying you got to have... The, a, in that a, situation. It's... He's going to Greg Williams. It's kind of like him and Gase. I was thinking at the end of this game, are such poor um, matches because Gase is afraid of his own shadow, coaches that way, even when his team's good, even when the Dolphins made the playoffs, he, he was afraid of his own shadow. There was no way he was going to let Sam Darnold throw the ball on third and six to go win a ball game. Like, he just wasn't going to do it. That's fine. You could you can say that's that's the percentage play. That's the way to do it. There's no way he's going to do it because he's, he's just afraid. Whereas Greg Williams is like the total opposite and is just like balls to the wall no matter what. I so saw Dan, Darnold. Oh, go ahead, Wes. I was just going to say, so Dan, does the, the tank talk incorporate this decision to blitz with the game on the line? Well, that's what the, you know, the jokesters on Twitter were saying. But obviously, this is where that logic falls apart, is that Greg Williams and Adam Gates, for that matter, aren't going to be within uh, 100 miles of Trevor Lawrence if he's in the Jets huddle come September. So they stand nothing to gain unless they have some type of loyalty to the team that's signing their paychecks uh, for the next month, which obviously is not the case. It was just a terrible call by a coach who should have known better with his level of experience that you have to coach to your personnel, and he didn't there. And that's why I felt bad for Lamar Jackson. That guy's you know a borderline uh, NFL player, and you're putting him in that position to get beat and have the goat horns, and really where, where they should be and where they deserve to be is on the coach and I think when you look at the rest of the game you had Sam Darnold uh, contributing three touchdowns kind of breaking out of his funk uh, and the Jets running for over 200 yards and speaking of Adam Gase being you know having issues with just all sorts of things in his role uh, it took Frank Gore suffering a brain injury to get him out of the game plan and as soon as he was and they gave some young guys the chance to run the football uh, Ty Johnson and Josh Adams made plays. So it's like, I don't know, like it, it, everything everything about this Jets team is broken, but the coaching again stepped to the forefront in this game. And on the Raiders side of things, uh, good job. You got, you got the win. Uh, that was That was, you know, gutsy being able to come back there. But at the same time, it's like, oh my God, you barely beat the Jets after getting destroyed by the Falcons. So it's not inspiring a ton of confidence going forward. Uh, someone, like, when it comes to this tank business, like, unless Gre- unless they've found, um, like, a model of Greg Williams and he's just, he's not a real person that they have, like, just playing Greg Williams, you think he wants two 0-16 seasons on his resume over the course of just a couple years? I mean, probably not. Yeah, he's never going to call plays again. These are the last games, and he's going to go out saying, remember me, I'm Greg Williams. That's To me, that's the through line of all Greg Williams' calls, is he wants you to know he's there. And well, so hey, he did in this game, and he wanted to end it with a flourish, and, he ended, know, he, and everyone league, knows he was there. This the league, guys. The remember ten... is it's, all, it's about Greg Williams. Right, right. exactly. It's about Greg. <laughs> Wait, uh, one little um, Brent Musbigger note. And I'm sure everyone here knows this, but if listeners do not, when he used to host NFL Today on CBS and he would open the show by saying, you are looking live at Chicago's Soldier Field. It wasn't for us who were young at that point liking football. It was to show last minute gamblers back in a day when you had no access, what the field conditions <laughs> looked like, what the wind looked like, so that those last minute gamblers had as much information as they possibly could. Mm. This guy is way into uh, the <laughs> desert happenings. I'll tell you that. He, has, well, he, he, owns, has a, he owns a gambling company. <laughs> right. In his final years, uh, he's in his 80s now, he has found his perfect spot 
Uh, I want a, a little shout out also, by the way, to Darren Waller, who's had, I would say, a disappointing season uh, on balance, uh, but he was uncoverable in this game. 13 for 200 and two touchdowns. So Darren Waller, huge for the Raiders, who have a, speaking of huge, huge matchup against the Colts next week. Two teams vying for uh, playoff spots. And you know what? This just shows the old Zeuser magnanimous as always. If this happened to another team, I'd like to hear uh, the other teams, uh, the the losing teams radio call. I don't want to hear the Jets uh, announcer for the first time getting his heart broken, but I think the audience might. Let's listen to Bob Wischusen. Here comes an all-out blitz. Steps up in the pocket. Unloads one down the left sideline. Looking for runs. Drops it in. Touchdown. Are you kidding me? Henry Ruggs down the sideline and Carr finds him for a go-ahead touchdown with five seconds to go. Now that's unbelievable, Bob. Unbelievable how you can allow a receiver to get behind you. Unbelievable. Unbelievable indeed. Let's move on. I'm really torn about this. Was not even upset when they lost, but I also wanted them to win. It is picked up by the Colts. It's Anthony Walker, and the Colts have a takeaway and a fumble recovery. It was a bad snap back to Watson, and then it ricocheted off of his hip, and then it was a mad dash to get the football around the 10-yard line, and the Colts get an absolute gift. An absolute gift. It was Matt Taylor, WFNI, with the call. The snap was low. Deshaun Watson couldn't handle it, and the Colts pounced on the ball. The goal line turnover served as the defining play in Indy's 26-20 win over the Texans. Greg, the Colts got two early Phillip Rivers touchdowns on that bad foot, and then the huge takeaway when they needed it most. It was a fitting way for this Texans um, season in terms of any hopes at all you know, to end, which is that Deshaun Watson plays a great game overall, puts them on the doorstep uh, of a stunning win just a couple yards away, and uh, one of his teammates lets him down because his teammates have been letting him down all year. Will Fuller let him down for getting suspended. The offensive line was terrible today, and he had a, had as good a half as he's had all year, which is, you know, it, it, he's had so many of those, I feel like, where he just is on fire for half in the first half of this game because his offensive line was terrible. Um, but they go into halftime and it's 24 to 20. They're, they're barely behind. And then you have the snap at the end of the game where they blow it. It was a strange game. More than 500 yards of offense, 24 to 20 in the first half combined. Neither offense scored in the second half. The only score was a safety wow. <laughs> by the Colts. It was really hard to see it Are coming. at the point... Because Watson has been playing out of his mind. It's an Andre Dawson in 1987 year with the Cubs, Wes, to use a baseball reference there. Uh, but has it, have we reached the point where there are too many weapons stripped away and, and Watson is going to struggle to put up points for the rest of the year? It reminds me of sort of the inverse of those Larry Fitzgerald teams when they were dragging guys off the couch to play quarterback. Mm. And Fitzgerald, you could tell this is a guy at the top of his profession – Deshaun Watson has reached that level too. I mean, he's a top tier quarterback now, and he's just not getting the help from his teammates. 
To be fair, you know, to the Colts defense, DeForest Buckner gets a couple sacks. They get a safety on Watson where they kind of surprised them with a stunt. Uh, they forced a fumble on Watson in the second half, so it wasn't wasn't perfect uh, from him. But I would say, no, he's still dangerous, Dan, because Kiki QT had 141 yards, and someone named Chad Hansen uh, had 101 Mom. yards. So I hope I you played him in your— I think he was the drummer in the band, Hansen. I think he was <laughs> right. the yes, little the kid with the long brother. hair. Yeah. I hope you played him in your DFS league because he can turn anyone, I guess, into 100 yard receiver Justin Houston had three sacks I saw so I mean I guess the I you know you can't look at the Titans game last week for the Colts and say it's all because of DeForest Buckner and Danico Autry but DeForest Buckner has got to be as valuable top five valuable defensive player right now couldn't you picture remember Elliot Gould's glasses in Ocean's Eleven with the thick uh, frames yeah, and wearing nerdy. the silk robe. Can't you see Greg in Vegas in his oh, yeah. golden years, Please. essentially yes. just running some type of book? Uh, and he, he he dresses like that every day with those glasses. Greg, That's, you could see that as maybe I mean, one I like, outcome. I like the outfits. I don't want to be living in Vegas, but I'm I'm totally into the robes and all of that. That well, put a smile on Greg's face. <laughs> there may be the no Los Angeles by the time you're retired. Vegas may be all that's but, left. So don't you know? Beggars. Can't Vegas be could be the coast. You never know. Yep. <laughs> Little Colts environmental lucky to talk. get out of this one with the win. They're 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 um they're on their third left tackle. They lost their backup left tackle right at the beginning of this game. JJ Watt had a monster game. They need to run, I think, to be effective. And Jonathan Taylor is running better, but they still couldn't even run when it mattered, even against the Texans. And so that that Whoa. worries me about the Colts. He offense. averaged eight yards per carry, and they couldn't matter. They couldn't run when it mattered. In this game, they they first of all they were so run heavy. I mean, so pass heavy for most of it. And yeah, they couldn't. You know, in the in the second half of this game, they had a million chances, kind of like the Vikings, to put it away. And the offense literally couldn't couldn't score a point in the second half. I feel like I have less of a handle on who's going to win the AFC South than who's going to win the NFC East because the Titans they just they continue to play tricks with my mind, uh, my mind. And the Colts are similar, <laughs> where I I. I struggle to buy in on the Colts, and we talked a little bit. We have more information than we had on Thursday. There was a report that uh, the nature of this Philip Rivers injury, he's going to need surgery after the year, that it's something – it's like basically the equivalent of super turf toe, uh, only it's on a nearly 40-year-old quarterback uh, who already can't move and uh, doesn't have the strongest arm. So it seems like something that uh, could be a massive hindrance uh, going down the stretch. The schedules are pretty close. I think the Titans are a little easier. I think the Colts. I think they're both going to get in. Colts play the Raiders next week, which is a big one. All right, let us move on. Pulls it back, throws it, end zone. Gesicki touchdown. When in doubt, throw it to Mike Gesicki in the end zone. Jimmy Cephalo, WQAM, with the call. Welcome back to a to a Tago Viola Viloa. Connected with Mike Jacecki on a pretty five-yard touchdown. The Dolphins did what they needed to do and sloppy, you know, a lot of bad blood, a lot of you know, people getting ejected. But at the end of the day, it was a 19-7 win over the Bengals. Mr. Sessler, how did Tua look in his return from that thumb injury? I'll say, first of all, this song fits the tone of this game. This felt like <laughs> sort of a old street fight. All right, keep um, it rolling, uh, Ricky. Yeah, it deserves to keep rolling. How did he look? First half, um, Dolphins offense, very stagnant. Uh, Tua, I thought, inaccurate. Um, I thought, you know, second half, at halftime, it was fair to ask, 
This team is in a playoff chase. Do you bench Tua and bring in Fitzpatrick, who the offense, frankly, mm. has just looked better with? More in flow. Um, Tua came back and played a better second half. I think Mike Isecki is like the center of their passing game half the time. Um, and I like him. But I, I, Tua, to me, just is not... You're not getting full games from him. Um, he also had his hand and wrist wrapped. And I know that the, the broadcaster said that they... That he said to them that he hoped during the week not to have it wrapped because... It was uncomfortable, basically, to play with, which makes tons of sense. So that could have been a factor. Um, but he, he he had a better second half. This game, though, um, their defense, it was very Dolphins-esque. The defense took over, and the Brandon Allen, who played an all-right first half for Brandon Allen and what you're asking him to do in a lost situation, they had, like, negative two yards in the second half with, like, minutes to go in the game. Uh, Send them to the cornfields. Well, right. They they were – that was the thing. Their offense just literally is a complete lost operation at this point. So the Dolphins, uh, their defense picked up. And to, and to your point on this bad blood, I mean, to sum it up quickly because a lot of stuff happened. Early in the game, Xavier Howard and Tyler Board, Boyd got into it with some fisticuffs. They were, they were knocked out of there, ejected. Then in the second half, two punt returns in a row. Jakeem Grant was whacked by Bengals mm. safety Mike Thomas. I mean, really rough, ridiculous hits. And this is something that showed me something about the Dolphins that I really like. Um, Sean Williams of the Bengals was ejected. Devontae Parker, Mac Hollins, after the basically the Dolphins team left their bench and went and confronted the Bengals. And it wasn't just them. It was Brian Flores right in the center of it, marching out into the field. And I think there's a bunch of coaches. Um, I don't know if you're getting Vic Fangio to run out into a, the middle of a melee. Maybe you are. He's a little bit cantankerous. Hey, he's but a tough dude, Fangio. He, he might be the guy. But Flores, to me, um, and afterwards he said, look, I shouldn't have done that. I should have kept my head about me, but I believe in my players. And it, it's another week where all the players are saying, like, Flores is that dude. So it was messy. But it kind of showed me something about how tight this team is. Um, and I, they're eight and four. They're very imperfect. I'm not sure who their better quarterback is right now. Um, Future-wise, that's a different story. But their schedule going from here is an absolute mess. It's the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Patriots, and the Bills. So we'll see what happens. But it is a step forward from last year. I think everyone asked, would they make a step forward? It was last year's ending a mirage. It's not a mirage. They're, they're a really well-coached team. They just don't have all the parts. Well, remember, Mark, you have them going to the Super Bowl. So you need sure. more than just year-over-year improvement. You need <laughs> something very special here. Nobody will remember that prediction. What, that I what made. was the prediction? Dolphins who? This Dolphins Cardinals. Mid- at mid-season. Yeah, was, so, uh, well, it was the Dolphins Cardinals. That felt like a, that, the way you said that felt like it was one foot off uh, the Dolphins, who, who have only lost one game since you made that prediction, to be fair. It was previously the Cowboys from the NFC. So, you know, I, I did improve my standing some degree. <laughs> How many predictions have you made? What you do, Wes, is you make 80 or 90, and then one is comes the through, and you trumpet the one, and they're like, that guy keeps nailing these prognostications over and In over. Mark's I feel defense, like you have they, six Super Bowl winners. They asked us They, they asked us, us on the dot-com for the midseason prediction. I I don't think you should have 
I don't think that makes sense. You should just keep your priest. Right. Should I have stuck with Cowboys, though? And like, no, then I, then I, I mean, it's like not a, your fault. Uh, just I'm putting fool, this one so, on the yeah. editors. I'm putting it on uh, bad coaching. And I'm not surprised these two teams fought. When the Bengals and the Dolphins get together, the rivalry is fierce. There's sure. a lot of feelings. Throw the you record the, books out the window. You had the Cam Wake uh, safety walk-off <laughs> touchdown on Thursday night football. You've had a couple other crazy Dolphins-Bengals games. It, it always just gets wild. What How's record books Thomas? are attached to the Bengals? I'm not, I've, I'm not, I've not seen. The, not the positive record books. But. By the way, how does Mike Thomas not get ejected from that game? Was it, was that in honor of you know former infamous Bengals? Goon, how does he not get ejected? Uh, Mike Thomas. He did not. The guy that that leveled on special teams twice. Dolphins player on on the weekend that former Bengals goon Vontae's Burfitt got arrested. Uh, he should have been shown the shown the gate, but he was able to stay in that game while everyone battled around him well, the uh, only, throughout the game. The only thing I would say is, like, I don't know about you, I would the last job I'd ever one of the last jobs that I want is to be a ref. I think it sounds like an absolute nightmare. And there were suddenly like seventy people fighting with each other, and there's like four refs with like little notebooks flipping their little notebooks trying <laughs> yeah. to figure out who to toss. It was like Respect total me. chaos. <laughs> Respect my authority. Uh, all right, let's move on. Ryan takes the snap, drops back. He's going to throw one down the center of the field. The end zone incomplete. And the Saints defense holds on fourth down. And boy, what a big, big mistake by Todd Gurley to put them in that situation. Oh, that's that never happens. Todd Gurley doing something stupid. Zach Streif with the call, WWL. Yes, Taysom Hill threw... Through yes, I said it. Two touchdown passes, and the Saints' defense stood strong once again when necessary uh, in a 21-16 win over the Falcons. That is nine consecutive wins for the Saints. And uh, for me, the big takeaway was Hill. This was progress. Game one, uh, start one, meh for me. Start two, eek, scary. Start three. He actually looks like a quarterback. He he drops back. He looks he looks confident. He steps up in the pocket. He drives, throws downfield, uh, and completes passes. And he's moving the chains on third down. And when he gets in trouble and no one's open, then he's taking off for a run. This looked like a functional quarterback. And uh, other than one bad turnover uh, in the red zone uh, on a fumble, I thought he played excellent in this game. So... Big-time progress uh, if you're living on Taysom Hill uh, uh, for the quarterback and to the point, um, Wes, that we talked about on the Thursday preview show, I wondered slash lamented when Alvin Kamara would rejoin this offense in some capacity, and he was back. He had uh, close to 100 total yards uh, and a touchdown. Michael Thomas was over 100 yards. The offense looked like a functioning offense on the same weekend that there's a report that Drew Brees will be ready in a week or so. Uh, so mm. that's interesting now because the Saints, obviously nine straight wins, three in a row uh, with Hill. Wes, I don't, I know you're our eye in the sky on Sundays. How much did you see of this game? And if you did, what did you think of Taysom? Well, first of all, you're a man who backs his commitments. You're going to take a stand on Taysom Hill, and you, you're choosing these games every Sunday to report back to his boots on the ground. I, I, I admire that you're giving us a report every week. Thank you. You're invested. Uh, I am. I am. I'm surprised that Greg let it drop to me at three overall, but uh, you know, I took the opportunity and ran with it. I have been in Taysom's corner for years now because of the way people have reacted to him. But I, I have confessed to 
doubts about his ability to read the field. And I don't think he read the field well in either of his first two starts. I thought he did much better at that today. Um, like you said, drove the ball down the field, had to actually go through some of his progressions. And it's something we haven't seen him do really well yet. So um, I agree with you. I, I, I put this on the progress side of the ledger. You add in 80 yards rushing. Talk about a guy who's hard to take off the field. And I know Drew Brees is going to get his job back. But I, I imagine that, that Taysom Hill has earned a bigger slice of the pie going forward. Hmm. Yeah, you wonder if they'll if there's any question about Breeze's health, they're playing the Eagles next week, whether they want to give him an extra week off. My guess is if he's if he's ready to play, they're gonna play him. You, you got the sense Sean Payton came out here though, wanting to prove a point with Taysom Hill. The run pass uh, imbalance was so heavy for the pass early. And they weren't that efficient throwing early. Like he had twenty throws for about a hundred 10 early but it was almost like Peyton was out there defenses are going to try to stop them from running he wanted to show Taysom and maybe he wanted to see if Taysom Hill can can throw and it sounds like he he passed that test I mean I don't hate that it took him a couple games to warm up on some level with some of the elements of this too uh it's it's really it my thing is like what do you what would he have to show for them to go into next season saying he will be our starter. I don't think we've seen enough of that. That feels real hazardous. And I like I like the idea of Taysom Hill, but I mean this is a nice this is a nice uh, start here. But mm. it feels like um, the future is a tad murky. When what would the, what would the field be if if the Falcons, you know, they're in the red zone, second and two at the thirteen yard line, under two minutes to go. And to me, that's like the Falcons' uh, nutshell of their season. Gurley for nothing, Gurley negative seven. They just are so bad running the ball, uh, and they end up blowing that chance. And they're bad in the red zone. That's been that's been the case for most of the last couple of years. They're mm. so frustrating to watch the Falcons on offense. You you would think, and you know we talked about it on Thursday, and the numbers back it up that this is a totally different offense with Julio Jones on the field. But then a game like this happens, and it just it just feels like they should be so much more productive. Um, than they are, uh, and that is something they have to figure out um, going forward, whether they truly want to blow this thing up or if they want to try to rebuild around Matt Ryan one more time. Yes, ESPN's Adam Schefter reported that Drew Brees could return in Week 14. Uh, so that's going to play into this as well, obviously, Mark, because if, if, if we've already seen the last start for Taysom Hill this season, he didn't show you enough one way or the other to say that he is – he should be absolutely their week one starter next year. It's going I think there's going to be a murkiness around the quarterback position in New Orleans, barring them making some huge move to bring in a veteran, which I don't think they could do because I think they're roughly seven billion dollars over the salary. Well, cap. right, which which <laughs> emphasizes the fact that this is a total go go for broke operation. So the record is what it is. If they can get the buy, um, this team is as well coached as any. And they're winning games with backup quarterbacks. That's tough to do in the NFL. I mean, I give Sean Payton a ton of credit. Was that the yummy, yummy, put this game in my tummy game? I can't remember which one you were No, that was Bill's 49ers. Bill's 49ers. Yummy, yummy, put this game in my tummy. So you're going to – now, when you – so are you going to fast in the morning for that game so that when you do put the game in your tummy, it's almost more satisfying? Take <laughs> yeah. us through the, the well, tummy you, scenario. You got to build up a big appetite because not you don't now you don't want to fast too long where the stomach starts to shrink. You want to snack a little bit during the day so that when I have to swallow an entire stadium based in Arizona, oh. um, along with like you know seventy. 700 to 800 people or whoever's involved with this operation, oh. that's a lot to eat. 
but I'm ready to eat it. It's like a COVID risk too. It yes, if any one of them have COVID, it will be right and it will be literally injected into my body. There's a part of me that turned 15 and then stayed in that year forever. And everything you just said was hilarious to me, Mark Sessler. <laughs> um, all right. Now to Greg Rosenthal's fever dream. The snap back. The placement by Long. Nice. The kick is blocked. Scoop it's score. blocked. It's bouncing in the open. Go. It's picked up by the Patriots. And running down the sideline is Devin McCourty. To oh. the five. To the end zone. Devin McCourty off the block field goal attempt. Picking it up and running it in for a touchdown Patriots. Special teams. Touchdown. And there's a part. Party in the end zone. What a block. What a job on the jumper from the back left side. Fox Ochi, and there he is, Scott Zolak, WBZ. Wes, remember in uh, Hard to Kill, Steven Seagal, where uh, Seagal gets shot eight times by an intruder, and uh, he goes into a coma for close to a decade, and he survives. He comes out of it, and then he has to go into hiding with Kelly LeBrock to build back and become the man he was so he can get revenge. And he can take Senator Trent to the bank, the blood bank. Do you remember any of that, Wes? I have to confess, I've never seen a Steven Seagal movie. That's not important. All you need to know is that that's what I feel about Scott Zolak right now, that for the past, like, 12 weeks, he'd been in hiding, trying to recover and licking his wounds after Tommy Boy left him. And now you feel he's coming back, and then Scott Zolak's getting his juice back. Just like Mason Storm did in Hard to Kill. Mason Storm. <laughs> Devin McCourty scooped up the block field goal and took it to the house. Just one indignity in a game full of them for the Chargers, who were demolished by the Pats. 45 nil at Hollywood Park. New England has won four of five, and they are in the race uh, for an, a playoff spot uh, with four games to play. Greg, we knew there was a coaching mismatch entering this one. How much did that play into the absurd nature of this blowout? I mean, I mean it play, it's everything. The, the Patriots had their quarterback had 69 yards passing, and they won the game 45 to nothing. I mean, it's what? outrageous. That's not right. That is not right what you just said. That's, they had that's almost accurate. as many points as passing yards. That, that is a fact. Well, that was Cam's passing yards. You know, Stidham came in for garbage what? time and got some more. But uh, – it's special teams. You know, first of all, the, the Patriots offense outscored their defense, you know, plenty. And they, the defense didn't give up any points, even without all this special team stuff. But, you know, the Chargers have been coaching this, these special teams with Lynn at this level for for three years. And they've had the same coach uh, who they reassigned to a, like a different part of the building. And his assistant took over and it's not any better. And I think they found him. Right in the in the same game that the Patriots had a seventy yard punt return, a blocked field goal touchdown on the last play of the half, and it was like one of those where if you got tackled, you don't get anything from it, so you got you have to score the seventy yard touchdown, and they got that. They got a they got a sixty one yard punt return. They um, the Chargers also had a four punt or a three punt streak. What is this? Anthony, keep it down. Greg's trying to provide analysis of the game. It's not nice. Um, I don't think... Yeah, I think this is the game. If if there's any game that he can't survive, this is it. Because the defense cooked up Herbert, too. And, you know, they had a three-play stretch. A three-punt stretch, rather. Where they had ten men on the field give up a big return. Twelve men on the field on fourth and five. So the Patriots get to keep the ball. And then the next punt, they had ten men on the field again. And they gave up a big oh, return. I man. mean, that's 
It's just too much. It's too Greg, much. have in you the last ha- seven days in general between the shenanigans of uh, Lynn the week before and on top of this, I feel like you might have sealed his fate here. Yeah, well, did himself. reported this morning that he's on the hot seat. Yeah. Well, we just heard it. I mean, what was that Mark? Well, I was going to say, Greg, is it possible that this is simply Gunnar Olszewski, who had a touchdown last week, uh, a return last week, a huge one against the Cardinals, called back? I mean, maybe he's just simply too powerful. But I mean, how do you, you know, there was a laundry list of uh, blown scenarios by Anthony Lynn a week ago to come in and outdo yourself in this fashion. Mm. Um, that's hard to do. And it is tough because we all like the persona. We like the person. And uh, it might be bye-bye time. <laughs> I don't like saying that, but... I mean, I'm sure you have to, like me to hear it. I think that would be the worst way to possibly get fired would be to, to hear someone say, it's bye-bye time. <laughs> well, I, I don't mean it insensitively, but it's... um. <laughs> It, it it we we yeah you we don't even need to say more about it because I think it it's it sort of speaks for itself um, the way it happened today yeah Gunnar Olszewski give him that special teams player of the week he was also their leading receiver one catch thirty eight yards that are that you ready great. to apologize Greg to your beloved hero Bill Belichick for writing the Patriots off as a completely untalented team with a bad defense. Uh, and never taking into account the idea that they would continue to improve and do Belichickian things with or without Tom Brady, the floor is yours. The at six and six, I never said he was like doing a bad job. I said the you defense were killing this defense the, for a month because because they were, they were one of the worst defenses, if not the worst defense in the league. But they have absolutely found themselves in the last four or five weeks uh the way they're using some of their young players. Stefan Gilmore returning makes a huge difference. He is huge. shut cornerbacks, uh, wide receivers down, kind of back in his defensive player of the year form, shut down Keenan Allen today. Uh, they have some young players. Josh Uche uh, had some great pass rushes today. Just have not seen them win. Adam Butler was, you know, not not a guy you would expect to dominate. It's kind of dominated the last two weeks. So they had a pass rush. Herbert had no chance early in this game. For all the special team stuff, it's like, you know, the Chargers didn't score any points either. So it's you, it, there's a, there was a million ways they could have lost this game. And the Patriots are very much alive, like in terms of mi- showing uh, their fans a fun game every week. They also play, you know, t- three straight teams um, with good <gasps> records in a row. And they're, they're much further out of the playoffs right now than the Lions are. So in terms of making the playoffs... Uh, there's not a lot of hope. They would have to win out and get a lot of help against you know really good teams. Um, but they're all they're obviously been a lot of fun to watch for Patriots fans. Oh, your Dolphins. definition of fun is a lot different than mine. The Patriots fans, and including me, kind of love finding different ways to win games. They oh, like don't this. have a passing this game. This team is so awful to watch. Oh, Damian Harris. Even when they win, they were so awful to watch. I predicted this mm. in March. Greg's going to be talking about this was his favorite Patriots team because they no. made so much of so little and what a coaching job. Well, they're not they're not talented. They're not talented, but they're finding it is fun to see a team try to figure out ways to win a game with zero passing game. And at this point, their passing game is just is bankrupt. Um, but Cam Newton ran the ball. You know, he was the key to running the ball in the red zone and basically capitalizing on, on the chances that they had. But they're they're so limited. It's hard to win without a passing game that it does limit them. I mean, sign me up to root for the untalented teams that are winning 45 to nothing. I'll I'll take that anytime. <laughs> <laughs> the Colts currently sit in the seventh and final playoff spot in the AFC. As of the recording of this podcast, they're eight and six. You have the Raiders behind them at seven and five. The uh, the Raiders, I should say. Then the Ravens at six and five. 
And then the pay, the Patriots, as Greg said, they're still far back there. They're they're in tenth place right now, uh, at six and six. They're either gonna have to win out or one more loss and then get some help. So it's still. I mean, they're gonna have to win out and get help. I mean, in in this Maybe. AFC, probably well, probably. Well, you got the Raiders and Colts playing next week, so one of those teams is gonna have a another loss. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they have a lot of work to do, but they're gonna be. They're going uh, into this Thursday night against the Rams. I, I, you, you're making fun of me passing on Saints Falcons. I wanted to watch this Patriots game because I, I was hoping for something like this. I enjoyed every minute, and they get into this Thursday night game against the Rams with some juice. That's all I wanted. I would, I, I would know, love to. I think- like when you show your fandom, Greg, because so, sometimes you try to suppress it, even though we know it's there. But right now, it's more out there this year, and I think it makes sense because you feel more. There's a little bit more on the line in the season. You're not just coasting to another 13 and three. It must be a, a totally different experience for you both as a fan and as an analyst. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't agree with your assessment. I feel like I've been kind of tuned out. I've only watched a few of their games live, uh, but they are fun. <laughs> they are fun. It is fun to be in the mix uh, with a team like this with some obvious short. What if Belichick is like secretly on the phone with like Andrew Luck? who has been working out intensely for, like, the past 60, 70 days. <laughs> Please. He'll come rolling into the lineup next week. I'm sure the Colts week. will just hand him over. They own his rights. I'm sure they'll just be like, here you go. Do they? Come torture us, uh, come torture us again for another 10 years. And just so everyone knows, Hard to Kill ended with Mason Storm knocking out the teeth of uh, the antagonist that tried to kill him with the butt of a, a shotgun, and then, and then he made out with Kelly LeBrock as the credits rolled. So is that the is that what Bill Belichick is going to be doing? He's going to knock out someone's teeth, and then you know maybe Linda is on the field with him last game of the year. You never know. It better be. You Linda. never know. That's why the NFL is a lot of fun. We we just watch and we see how the movie ends. <laughs> let's let's move on. <laughs> Wes, I I can't recommend that film enough. Hard to kill, nineteen ninety. <laughs> My dad was a Seagal man. Uh, that that gene didn't get passed on to me. I know. I always bring up Seagal <laughs> to you because I know Sessler and Rosenthal aren't going to be plugged in, and I, I guess I'm just I'm channeling the spirit of your old man. Yeah, yeah. Miyagi was a big fan. <laughs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> uh, hey, what's up, Nick Shook? Are you a uh, fan? You're a little younger, so you might have missed the Seagal window, but I'll just check in. Are you familiar with the? Uh, the work, the catalog of Steven Seagal. I have not watched a lot of uh, Steven Seagal movies, but uh, Bridget, my girlfriend, who you guys like to mention a lot, uh, she is a fan of a lot of movies of that era. She's a big diehard fan, and she likes a lot of Seagal movies. Good for her. Mm. Look at that. All right. See, Maybe you know, you're that's like just kind one of... more reason to lock it up, uh, Shook. Sure. We talk about locking it up on this show. How about you lock something up? And that means that <laughs> girlfriend that moved to the Midwest for you. Hey, man, you know what? I was shopping for rings this week, so leave me alone. <laughs> Is that if if you uh, if you do get that ring and you know I think Dan you know deserves an assist on this. Well, she should know. (laughs) She should know that I've been you know turning the screws a little bit. Um, Hey, Wes, thank you as always for checking in. You made the show better, not just with your knowledge, but just who you are, buddy. We love you. Certain je ne sais quoi. Exactly. Love you, Wes. See you, Wes. All right, right. see y'all. There goes one bald man. Here enters another. Let's move on. Matthews got it. Turns, gives to Peterson. Left side. Barreling his way down to the one-yard line and in. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. He's into the house for the score, and the Lions are on top. 
Dan Miller, WJR with the call. Adrian Peterson's five-yard touchdown run. His second score of the game was the difference for the Lions, who wiped out a 10-point fourth-quarter deficit and a 34-30 win over the free-falling Bears. Shooky, the Bears needed their defense to be great this year to overcome their other deficiencies, and it seems like, based on what we're seeing here in the final score, they couldn't even be decent, decent, and it probably ended their season. Yeah, you want to talk about uh, the free-falling Bears, it's their free-falling defense. Their offense is in battle here, as you mentioned, but their defense has been really bad in the last few weeks, and this was probably their worst game of the year. I mean, you give up 460 total yards of offense, you surrender a 10-point lead in under, I think, three minutes in the fourth quarter. I mean, there was a point in this game where the Lions would get within maybe 10 or 3 points, and then the Bears would extend the lead again. It, actually, the offense wasn't really that much of an issue this week, uh, except for Mitch Trubisky's timely fumble that then led to this uh, turnaround this comeback. But the, every time they got within 10 points, they couldn't really get much closer, and then all of a sudden, uh, the Bears' defense wilted in the worst moments. Uh, in, in the fourth quarter, there was a 25-yard touchdown pass to Marvin Jones, and then there was the 5-yard Adrian Peterson touchdown run, which came on a short field as a result of that fumble, but really just capped um, what I think has been been a nightmare of six weeks and could cost Matt Nagy his job uh, and and at this point nothing is really working all that well or at least consistently enough to to have any confidence in the Bears going forward and then if you move beyond that you've changed your quarterback and uh, the defense that you could rely on before that you know you're missing guys like um, you know they missed Akeem Hicks at one point and um, you know if you can't rely on that group either then um, you might be looking at massive changes. I mean this also this Bears defense wasn't getting the takeaways that were the signature kind of spicy element to an otherwise great defense in years past. And I mean, I can only imagine um, what books, uh, not that I'd want to read them, but what books would be written about the way these players feel about what's gone on in Chicago this whole year. And none. None are, are the amount of books being written about the Matt. Well, I'm just, I'm just talking that about this. A, the, the amount of people that have to be, if you're a defender on that team that's had to, it's 2020, and you have to basically be the anchor of a Bears team that's going to score about 18 points a game. That, how annoyed is that defense by December? And at some point, the floor just falls in. Right. But to get to to give the ball to the Lions with less than five minutes to go, up ten inside the Lions' five yard line, and give up a ninety six yard touchdown, and then Mitch a ninety six yard touchdown drive, and then Mitch fumbles the ball, and you give up another touchdown after that. I mean, Mitchell, that's a everyone deserves blame. In the fourth quarter, I think they went they went like three and out, three and out, three and out, fumble, and then you know they didn't get the. Touchdown. But they did put up 30 points. You would think that would be enough to win against the zombie 49ers who didn't have uh, Kenny Galladay or DeAndre Swift. So that's, it's just a total collapse of everyone. It's ridiculous. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine being a Bears fan watching that game. (laughs) (laughs) I was just sitting back watching it thinking, there's no way they're going to do this, are they? And then they get the long touchdown pass. I'm like, well, they might do this, but there's not that much time left. Uh, This is kind of how the game's been going all day. And then the timely Trubisky fumble. And like you mentioned, you know, those possessions that, you know, three and out, three and out, all those situations. Statistically, for the day, Mitch Trubisky had a pretty solid day. Uh, but that fourth quarter, I don't know if I would call it so much a meltdown as an implosion within the last few minutes. Because, um, you know, on the day, he was still 26-34. He broke 260 yards. His pass rating was over 108 I mean, that's a pretty solid day for, for a team that hasn't had any consistency at quarterback all year, and yet you find a way to lose in a fashion that you haven't lost many of your games except for last week when you let the Packers put up 41 on them. It just kind of reminded me of what we talked about last Sunday night, which was it's a good thing this team's no longer in prime time for the rest of the year. Oh, thank oh, goodness. A very good thank thing. goodness. Uh, Ricky, jump in here a second. Just want to say I want to give you a little shine here. 
Eric at Tamposi. Shut the dog up. I mean, what right is on up time. With that? Um, you have you've struggled with various predictions this year. There, there's no, I'm not calling that out uh, to be cruel, but just uh, to point out that you deserve credit for your sandwich prop checking in by week 13. Adrian Peterson over 500 rushing yards. He crossed that barrier today. So uh, we uh, or I doff my cap to you, uh, my fair maiden. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, uh, you know, sometimes you got a hunch and sometimes they're all wrong. But this one, this one seemed to work. Well, this is the only this one actually makes you sandwiches. So I guess in a way, this was the most important of all hunches. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you so much. She should share that with Daryl Bevel, who it seems obsessed with Adrian Peterson. (laughs) Let's let's move on. Give is Darren Jones up the middle, breaks through, 30, cutting left, 35, he's to the 40, 45 to the 50 down the left sidelines, still on his feet, cuts it back, 25, 20, he's got a chance to the 10 to the 5, to the end zone, touchdown, touchdown, Aaron Jones, 77 yards to the north end zone for the dagger. Great call. Wayne Larravee, Larry McCarron, WTMJ, and a great run by Aaron Jones, who showed you all that ability that he has on a 77-yard uh, game-clinching touchdown in the Packers' 30-16 win over the Eagles at Lambeau. Aaron Rodgers threw three more touchdowns and another MVP-worthy performance. And shook. Carson Wentz finally got his ass benched. Finally, the day came. Yeah, uh, glory be to the heavens and all the Eagles fans who've been calling for number two uh, to take the field. Jalen Hurts had a nice little moment or two uh, and almost led them. It looked like for a second he might lead them to a victory, an unlikely victory, considering they were down, uh, what was it, uh, 23 to to three, I think was the score at the time. Um, and it, it, the game was pretty much in hand. It was, it was one of those things where, yeah, there was a ton of time left, but it looked like Doug Peterson was just throwing Hurts out there because, well, A, we can't protect Carson Wentz at all, and our offense can't get anything of substance going. Uh, so why not throw him out there and let him get some reps and also appease the people who are going to fire 50 questions at why he hasn't put Jalen Hurts in consistently yet uh, on Monday. And, you know, we'll see how Doug reacts to that now that Jalen actually produced a little bit. But instead, it became a one-score game for a little bit. And then, of course, the Eagles offense uh, went back to what it was before and couldn't actually put the ball, push the ball down the field, punted, and then gave up the touchdown run to Aaron Jones, which pretty much was the capper on the entire thing. And emphasize what this entire season has been for the Eagles, which is even when you start to get some good stuff going, it all falls apart before long and you end up uh, with dirt in your face and a running back running, mm. you know, down the field in the opposite direction for a touchdown. I, I thought uh, Peterson was telling after the game when he when he didn't go back to Wentz, you know, for next week. You know, they're playing the Saints next week. They said who's going to start, and he, he left it open. And that usually means a change. Is coming and the way that he put in Hurts. Yes, the game was felt over, but it was the middle of the third quarter. It was only right. after one drive after halftime, and I thought Hurts had the best two drives. That and it, you know I don't want to get too carried away because he was in the game for four drives and they scored seven points and he turned it over. So it's not and the like touchdown they, was on like fourth and twenty four. <laughs> right. So. so it's not like they suddenly looked amazing. But he had some rushing first downs. He they had the only two really impressive sustained uh, drives that weren't aided by penalties uh, like on the first drive. So it's like why not give it a shot? Why not? I, I thought he brought light, like he brought some energy and some life. And why not? give Eagles fans a little bit of that. And I mean, I, I just can't figure out how mentally 
broken Carson Wentz is right now. I can't think of anyone that needs some time away uh, more than Carson Wentz. I mean, outside of maybe some of us at times, but um, it, why not do this? Roll with Hurts. See what happens. It just like shows some flexibility. Like I, It was just a good moment to see that they finally did it. I mean, they should have done it weeks ago. This should have happened agree, a month I, ago. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yes, performance-based alone, I agree with you, Mark. But the idea of benching your franchise player, and that's what they thought Carson Wentz was entering this year, and who knows, maybe they still think that in the big picture he can be that guy. That is a huge decision to make. And I think they they kept on putting it off because it's like, we believe in him and we don't want to pull the plug on him because obviously that has far-reaching implications on us. And what if we pull the plug and, and we take away the chance that he does find a way to get his game back on track? And I think they essentially, Peterson made the call just before it was way too long. I think it was in, within the acceptable window of rope to give Carson Wentz and I thought where this game was at 23-3 and just the depression that had settled over this team, that it finally was time. So I, I think Peterson made the right move. I think it would be the wrong move not to start give Hurts a shot now. And it's maybe not fair to Hurts too much because now you're going to go against the Saints defense that just finished up a, a streak where they went 14 quarters without giving up a touchdown. Uh, but if nothing else, give Wentz, sit him down, let him clear his head a little bit. And maybe you regroup and you have a chance to hang around at the end of the season. But it certainly feels like at this point uh, the ship has sailed on the 2020 I, I would agree with that. I exaggerated by four weeks because I, I would say two weeks. And also, Hertz is not Gardner Minshew is a six-round pick hanging on the bench. Just a second-round pick. Like, I think they want to take a look at him. So I'm just glad that it's happening now. I mean, finally at least. Yeah, it's also kind of waving the white flag on the whole situation, which I don't really blame them for doing considering the fact that their offensive line um, has no stability at all because of all the injuries that they dealt with up there. And that's the main reason Carson West is where he is. I know we can talk about his regression and everything, but statistically and everything else, just watching him play. It's, uh, Dan, you remember the old Sam Darnold uh, Monday Night Football clip, the I'm Seeing Ghosts? That's, that's basically Carson Wentz right now. I mean, he, no, he, does, he doesn't was, remember that. <laughs> he was hit so many times. Uh, and has been hit so many times over the course of this entire season. They're dead last in sacks given up. Um, it's been an abomination when it comes to trying to protect him. The only time they ever got him to do anything of, of significance today was when they rolled him out. And you can't do that every play, especially when you don't have a legitimate... I mean, Miles Sanders is a promising back, but you don't have a legitimate rushing attack with that same offensive line. So there's only so much you can do. And if you if that's your franchise quarterback that you're trying to keep healthy, which he's had an issue with over the course of his career, uh, then maybe you do sideline him with not, not much more to play for, even though the division's still but a garbage division. he has division. no feel. He has no feel. Romo, right. who is so loath to criticize any quarterback pointed out just the multiple times where he didn't kind of move to the open spot in the pocket to buy right. himself more time and then I thought it was very telling the moment he got benched was after the first drive of the third quarter when he missed two straight throws wasn't about the protection it was two open throws and he just missed them and you so see that with him a lot so how do you get that? How do you turn that around? I think you turn that around in the offseason yes. by Give trying a couple to either weeks get off. healthy up front. Is terrible, then play him the last couple of weeks and, and see. I'm with you, yeah. Chef, offseason. Like you're not turning it around in the middle no. of December. Especially They're when probably, you can't send him out there confidently thinking that he's going to be protected well enough to play. They're one Saints loss away from being in play out, play out the string territory anyway, so... Uh, you get the feeling that it just makes a lot of sense. I wonder if this, yeah. did this make Brian Greasy's head explode when Jalen Hurts finally <laughs> took the field? 
Good, jo- good job, Riddick, by the way. He probably by, uh, fainted from happiness. He's like, oh, all these cronies that fired me over in Philadelphia, and now they all get to suffer. <laughs> um, Classic Riddick. That run was one of the best uh, plays of the year. I don't need to hear any more about how Rodgers – it's a beautiful thing to see Rodgers with um, – so much support, but we don't need to hear about Rodgers not having support with that running back with the best left tackle, one of the best offensive lines with Devontae Adams, who is the best short yardage receiver I can remember. I mean, on fourth and goal to just know you can throw it to Adams and get the touchdown. They had a couple other short yardage thing. It's like, and the coach, I mean, these the guys are open. It's a beautiful thing. I think he's going to win this MVP. We even we even had our you know weekly seventy five yard bomb drop by MVS uh, to deflate <laughs> Rogers' numbers just a little bit. Uh, yeah, Rogers has been a joy to watch this year, and it's going to come right down to the wire with Mahomes. That will be fun. On to Sunday night. Oh, Sunday night. There it is over the middle, and then we intercepted, and that's going to wrap it up. So, Tommy Matthew does it again. There you have it, Al Michaels with the call for NBC Sunday Night Football. The Honey Badger with the second pick of the game of Drew Locke. Uh, Began the game with a pick, ended the game with a pick, and the Chiefs on offense do just enough in a 22-16 win over Denver. The Chiefs improve to 11-1 and keep uh, one game behind the Steelers for the top seed in the AFC while the Broncos enter firmly into also ran running out the clock operation. See ya in the cornfields territory at four and eight. All right, Mark Sesson, your thoughts on this game? Well, I always look for a moment in Chiefs games where um, it seems to be over for the opponent and I give Denver a lot of credit. They there was the 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 third quarter drive where they went 11 plays, 72 yards to make it 16-12 um their favor and at that point uh they ne- they offered no more offense. And uh you look at the fact that Kansas City people some people say they didn't play a great game here. It wasn't like their full octane operation. Their first 5 of 7 drives they scored and one of them um, was the Tyreek Hill uh, turnover catch in the end zone that they simply did not review, and it was a punt. So I thought the Chiefs actually played very well here, and this is just a simple... It's a divisional game. Uh, they survived, and I know they're not blowing teams out of late, and there seems to be a lot of cranky Steelers fans out there um, that I've noticed that are sort of... <laughs> Put his, put, put his name on it. You're friends with him. Come on. Well, no, it's many. I, and Damashek would own part of it. But I just think that there's a, there's some sort of aspect there where, like, we're, we're, we're upset that the Chiefs are being seen as the class of the AFC. And my thing is this. Go punish Patrick Mahomes. Go take this team out. Until someone really does. I mean, the Raiders did once. But until that happens, um, they are my AFC number one seed. They find a way to survive games. Tonight it was Tyron Matthew making two huge plays, uh, the picks, but also the stop on Noah Fant. Matthew. I mean, this is a team that finds different ways to win. And I feel like I'm watching, um, in the 1980s, watching Hulk Hogan eight years in a row almost lose the belt every single Saturday <laughs> night's main event, but then somehow in the final minutes or even earlier, he finds a way to win, and you kind of know the whole thing was preconceived. 
Shook Hulk Hogan was a professional wrestler. In the I would 1980s. imagine Shook knows that he could probably you could probably beat Hulk Hogan right now. Shook. I bet your girl was a big fan of him too. I mean, she likes Seagal. She likes you. You're kind of her real life Seagal. You're a Hulk, and uh, she she's got she likes a, she likes a little Hulk Hogan. I bet I, I can ride with the age joke thing. That works out. We can do that. <laughs> was it that wasn't an, an age thing? Oh, um, I don't know. I'd be a little concerned just that the Chiefs struggle in short yardage in that because it's not new. Like they, it it sounds crazy because I think some announcers have said this too that they leave points on the field, but they really do. Like they've been bad in short yardage all year. They've they haven't scored a touchdown in seven straight um, red zone opportunities. So that's like stuff you need to work on. When sometimes your coach keeps it a little closer because of some befuddling um, decisions, then you would like the non challenge was seven points. You know, kicking uh, a field goal. Uh, in the first half inside the five, and then punting it away at the end. Now it worked out, so Andy Reid will say that that was the right decision. I, I want to use Patrick Mahomes as much as I can and, and get as many points as I can if I'm Andy Reid. And it, it's not a major concern, um, but it's a trend that when they're in short yardage, they can't just run the ball. They always have to pull out some crazy stuff, and it hasn't really been working for a while. Like, at no point this season can they just hand the ball off and get a yard or two, which is, like, a useful thing in the in the NFL, especially when you're playing a good team like the Steelers in the playoffs. Yeah, they've kind of proven that they're the reverse of a bend-but-don't-break defense, where they can get down the field quickly, but all of a sudden when they're in that short yard situation, they can't score. But I think when you play them, you're in one of two situations that we've seen demonstrated with their division rival opponents this year, which is either you try to keep up with them in a relative shootout like the Raiders did uh, in the first time they met and won and when they did recently and lost, or you do what Denver did tonight, which was you try to basically you know bend but don't break defensively and, and avoid turnovers. Now, they couldn't do that. That hurt them, and obviously it ultimately cost them uh, a chance to potentially go down and, and take the lead in the final minute of the game, but... This is essentially how you have to do it. You have to hope that you get enough from your offense, and Denver just didn't tonight. Um, but you do have to give, you know, tip the cap to them for, for doing enough to keep them in the game defensively. But you're right. I think it also, a yeah. lot of it has to do with what Andy Reid's done. Yeah. Hey, I mean, thanks for about, entertaining us, but uh, how, you lost. How about go win a game, right. Drew Locke? Your defense <laughs> plays its balls off in this game, and it's, it, it's just, you know, there's no sense piling on here. I just said it's time for the Broncos to go to the uh, cornfields till 2021 but Drew Locke you know for all his moxie and and swagger and all that can't play you guy can't play I know he made some throws but if if you're going to tell me this guy's the solution uh after this year um you're probably John Elway lying to yourself so uh I I've seen enough of Drew Locke this game was there for the taking this could have been a major win for the Broncos even in a season where they won't be playing uh, in the playoffs, but they couldn't find a way uh, to make use of all these weapons, including, again, Jerry Judy. One catch for five yards in the last drive of the game. How about game. Tim Patrick? I mean, they've got a good – their offensive line played well, and you've got Tim Patrick's their leading receiver, and most people would probably think he's their fourth most talented receiver. I mean, they've got four or five weapons. You're right. They, they've underachieved. I And I do, it does feel almost like a WWF match from the 80s. Uh, with the Hulkster, where it's preordained, and the Chiefs sometimes are at that like Michael Jordan Bulls place where they're just kind of coasting, and they when they need to make a play, they'll make it and they'll win the game because that has never really been in doubt. And then sometimes you'll have games like this where you could tell their foot isn't truly uh, pedal to the metal. So 
you know, good good for the Chiefs. 22-16, a win's a win. It's going to get the Steelers fans angry, Mark, which is always kind of fun. Uh, they, they think they should be number one uh, in the power rankings. Well, nope, Chiefs will still be number one. Deal with it. And that's that. Hey, Shook. Yeah. Does does she know uh, that you're ring shopping? No. The door's closed when I said that earlier. I would never oh, really that's let awesome. open. But mm. preliminary discussions, I got you know a tip or two. Um, it's not going to be the conventional uh, setup, I think. Um, you know, the the pairing of one with another. See, now I'm not using this specific term because within earshot. But sure, you sure. know, you got to keep the surprise. But I did get a little hint or two. Uh, and like I said, it's it's not going to be a total surprise. This has been on the uh, the docket. It's been on the, in the okay. plan for a long time. It's just well, you uh, better hope you know. none of her friends uh, listen to the podcast. You better hope Daryl Bevel's not well, listening right. either. Yeah, he he's gonna blow my remember. cover. I know. Right, right. Daryl right. Bevel or anyone from Scotland or you know uh, Norway. Like if she's in touch, well, they don't. With any they don't know who she so. is. At least, yeah. They, <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't need any. Uh, Internet sleuths going onto Shook's uh, Instagram no, and then finding his girlfriend and then reaching out. Don't do it. I know you wouldn't. Our audience is cool. You know, some audiences are terrible, filled with horrible internet people that are monsters that say bad things about women and are disrespectful to the hosts and all that. That's not our audience. So, Shook, you have nothing to worry about. And actually, I appreciate how candid you're being, not just with us here uh, but the audience in this major milestone in your life and it's very exciting and I, I, I know your girlfriend from our softball days that's a nice job you did a nice job there let's lock it up now <laughs> I, hey you know what there's a reason I keep my Instagram private but Nick Nick are you concerned <laughs> at all that she doesn't even listen to your handiwork on this show she wouldn't even take five minutes to listen to you know what's happening here well, if, fair if, question. She, if she was trying to listen specifically to when I'm on, she'd have to scrub like the last 25 minutes of the podcast. That might be too much of an effort, so I couldn't blame her for it. Okay. But she deals with this every uh, day. Very well. Before we sign off, hey, Ricky, how would we do on the locks this week? <laughs> All right, Ricky, we're having some technical difficulties with Ricky. I could tell you this. Oh, you there, Erica? I don't know. There's something bad's happening with Erica's computer right now. Oh, so I will quickly say that uh, Greg and I both did good work locking up the Rams over the Cardinals. Mark fearlessly uh, locked up the Saints, uh, who got that ninth win in a row. Fearlessly is the uh, correct so. term. It was they were they were a field goal favorite. Give less them a break. than that. I we said gotta, he fearlessly locked it up. I didn't that. say anything was wrong with the lock itself. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what Wes locked or Ricky. Uh, Wes, Ricky Wes locked now's... the Titans. I didn't want to, and you know, I'm, I didn't oh. want to. You know, I, I'm not going to make that an issue on the show. But Shook, mm. you don't lock up against the Browns in a big spot like that. You know that as well as I do. I, I uh, probably would have if I wasn't. A, you know, didn't want to just like disappoint you. I wanted to root for uh, well, the Browns. It seemed like a good lock. Actually, <laughs> I thought Wes might be onto something, but I was as surprised. Greg as... started to say, "If I wasn't afraid of you," then caught himself and then said, "If I." <laughs> I didn't want to disappoint. Yeah, I'm gonna. I did pick him to cover too, Mark. I was on the Browns side. I picked them to only lose. Oh, Erica is saying she locked the Browns according to um the our chat here. Oh no, I saw that. That's not she. She locked them 45 minutes into the game. (laughs) Well, that's absurd. You got three. uh, You got three games left, Ricky. You can still put a. I'm wondering Erica. if this is why she's having the technical difficulties. But you could Erica. you got three three good games to choose from. Some heavy favorites. You can even take them. You can you can pick one on Monday or she Tuesday. locked up. Erica, the did you lock up the Browns, Browns when they were up? 
Did you lock up the Browns when they were up 38-7, Erica? It was, it was like 24-7 after the first <laughs> She's shaking her head furiously. This doesn't seem fair. She can't hey, talk. All right, hey, we'll, we'll get into this on Tuesday. Uh, Shook, final words to it, you. It, uh, I went on Cleveland Radio last week and picked the Titans confidently. So I'm going to be watching my back when I walk around downtown this week. I did the same thing. <laughs> Listen, you weren't alone. I did the same you thing. You weren't alone. Sessler picked the Titans. Me and Greg nearly locked up the Titans. And, uh, you know, that's what makes football. No, it's fun. mental it's warfare. Never, it's no. mental warfare. I was sure. like all waterfall, yeah, Tennessee, and then reality brings it. Rick, right Ricky back. is posting in the chat room that she locked the Browns. It, it's nothing personal, Ricky. Even if you hadn't had the um, regrettable uh, admittal of uh, cheating the last time something like this happened, it, we just have to play by rules. That No one would out, you know, you can't pick the game after it starts, no matter if you didn't know the score or not. You know, if it was like a Wes or a Mark, they wouldn't put us in this position. You just you just got to pick a game that hasn't started. Uh, you know, a, a man and a woman, they got to have a call. Erica, at ATN Lockups on Twitter, who uh, this man's been tracking this for years, and he does awesome work based out in the Tower of London. You just got to get in touch with him before kickoff. It's yeah. basic. It's basic. Come on now. All right. We don't okay. know about R- Ricky's again, weekends. I feel bad. You can't speak right now. Erica's weekends are rough and tumble. She got that Adrian Dude, Peterson you got, sandwich You got Thursday. Prop, you got Friday. You got the, the lock. When you do you think that weekend prop. begins? <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, another week in the books. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to Chris Wessling. And, of course, uh, Shook, you've been, you know, sixth man of the year. You know, in the NBA Finals, when your boy lost track of the score, that would never be you. I mean, he had some clutch shots uh, in Game 7 a couple years prior, so it's all right. Mm. Yeah, that's true, too. This is Dan Anzis signing off for Quiet Storm, the old boss, the mailman, Nick Shook, sixth man of the year, Ricky Hollywood. Until Tuesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! 
Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.